What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome to the Chase Thomas podcast. Juan Soto is a teenager who is hitting like he's twenty-seven years old. Leonis Martin might be an all-star, and people are giving Diamondbacks general manager Mike Hazen credit for shrewd business moves to put together this roster that's back in front of the NL West. But you know what would have been an awesome move? Maybe a really good under-the-radar move. The Diamondbacks re-signing J.D. Martinez, who is third in war in the AL, and will be starting at the DH spot in the All-Star game next month. John Taylor, Sports Illustrated MLB writer, is here. John, how are you? I'm doing all right, man. How are you? I'm good. I had to get all that out of my system this morning. All right. It's good. It's good. Just to, it's, like, it's like stretching before a workout. Just, you know, limber up. Or loosen right? up, limber, limber up, whatever. L- okay. Limber and loosen. Well, I think the Soto stuff's important to touch on um, because he is doing things that don't happen very often for 19-year-olds. Acuna was just doing something similar before he went down the injury, but um, he's making things a lot better for the Nats, and uh, it's nice to have someone like him in the lineup because Bryce Harper, who we'll talk about later, um, still hitting, but he's just not been his typical Bryce Harper self this year and the nationals are uh, favored according to fan graphs of winning the division right now like they're gonna figure it out they're um they were just really unlucky with injuries they still have a, just a nasty top four in their rotation and uh they traded for kelvin herrera we'll talk about in very uh, very soon but uh yeah that's the thing um the detroit tigers who i hope you're going to issue an apology to me at some point in this podcast about um them still hanging around in the al central and uh you know only a couple games back which is just cool but uh i can go ahead and say that the Diamondbacks getting credit for being cheap and not resigning jd martinez and finding ways around it to stay competitive in the nl west is uh very nauseating from my perspective yeah, and I, I made a I mentioned this back when the Red Sox did sign Martinez. It was just you know the the fact that the Diamondbacks immediately announced uh, the same day that the JD Martinez news broke that they were signing Gerard Dyson is kind of indicative <laughs> to the way they approached that that they had that deal like ready to go the moment it happened and it just you know and, and you're right it's like given what he did for them last year and given that he was. Far and away, I think the impact hitter available in free agency. I mean, I'm I'm struggling to remember or thing. I mean, Lorenzo Cain, I guess, would have been the other option. I guess Lorenzo Cain would have been a great pickup for for Arizona too if they bothered. Um, it's really hard to justify letting him go, and I know he doesn't really fit in the National League that well because defensively he's just kind of a train wreck, and that's only going to get worse as he ages, not better. But for a team like Arizona, which is certainly young but this is not like a a yankees type situation where they have you know a very bright future ahead of them for the next five to ten to the yankees it feels like forever um i don't know if that's necessarily a win now team but it's a win soon team and 
JD Martinez, you know, it, it's hard not to feel like if you were on that team, of course, you can't just, you know, take his numbers, but they are now plop them on the D backs and assume that everything would have translated exactly the same. But boy, does he make that middle of the lineup better. And it's just kind of scary, like, because especially because Boston didn't pay a tremendous amount for him, you know, 5 125, yep. I think is what that ended up being, which for a hitter of his caliber is not a lot. It's, it's not a particularly large amount. And you can kind of already see, like, I mean, the Dimebacks offense is not as good without him. And some of that is Paul Goldschmidt was struggling, although he's definitely no longer struggling anymore. Uh, Jake Lamb has taken a bit of a step back from last year. Good uh, defense, though. Good defense, but it, it was one of the things where it was just like I didn't, I didn't understand, not even the Dimebacks, I didn't understand why there weren't way more teams involved than J.D. Martinez at the end. Why the Red Sox were basically allowed to dictate his market because it seemed like they were the only seriously interested team. Well, I know why um, every other team in the AL weren't uh, getting involved. It's because the AL has quit outside of five teams. That is true. There are. It's funny you look at the you look at Fangraphs uh, projected uh, their playoff odds thing, and there are I think five teams right now with playoff odds above seventy five percent. And the next closest yeah. I think is Minnesota, which is down on like the, or the Angels who are down on like the thirties right now, like. Well, I think the Yankees, Red Sox, and Astros all have a 99% chance of making the playoffs. And then I they think do, and I'm pretty sure the, the Indians are both. Yeah. Yeah, the Indians, and yeah, the Indians are way up. It's like, the, I was, I was, I've been telling you, I've been telling a couple people about this. The AL playoff picture is, or the AL, the AL playoff participants, better said, are decided. It's just a matter of which of the Yankees or Red Sox will be hosting the wild card game and whether or not the Mariners. Uh, whether or not there's a late surge left in the Angels to determine or to decide um, the second World Cup. But I, I, I mean, I think at this point, like you're almost in a position with all these teams where if they do make moves to the deadline, and I, I expect them all to be involved to some degree or another in trades, it's not so much for, for the regular season as for the playoffs. I mean, I think, well, the one exception is the Yankees and the Red Sox because they will be fighting for that division until the very end, um, yeah. which is going to be interesting if, you know, if you have that coming down to the last weekend of the season, you know, the AL East coming down to that last stretch of games. On the one hand, you have Boston and New York each fighting for that for that first place in the AL East and having to, you know, juggle things to make that happen. And on the other hand, you have the Mariners, who basically have the rest of the season to line up their rotation so that they can make sure James Paxton starts the wild card game. Yep. But the good so thing is for it, them it's if they don't, uh, if they hold off the Angels, which um, everything seems to be going wrong for the Angels, although, although Calhoun did hit a home run the other day, maybe last night, so maybe things are turning around because when he's hitting, who knows what the Los Angeles Angels are capable of? And Mike Trout is still doing ridiculous Mike Trout things on a daily basis. Mike Trout is Mike Trout is having arguably the greatest month of his entire life, and it's still yeah, not enough. And he's to never won a AL Player of the Week. He's never won a Player of the Week. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess that's that's that to me is just an interesting thing you get to keep an eye out for when we, once we get to you know end of September is um, if if the division if the AL East is still a close race and I think it should be all the way through um, you know kind of which team blinks and sets things up so that you know their their contingency is that they do have you know either a, a Luis Severino or a Chris Sale starting the All Star or starting the All Star game <laughs> that's that doesn't well, matter starting the All Star game yeah. They both will be in the All Star game, but starting the wild card game as opposed to uh, you know Rick Porcello or or Masahiro Tanaka. Not that those are bad options, but certainly not what you want going up against James Paxton uh, in a winner take all scenario. 
Who do you think would enjoy knocking out the Mariners after their magical season in a wild card game more? The Red Sox or the Yankees? It's got to be the Yankees, right? In a very delayed re- uh, revenge for 95 kind of way, but the Yankees yeah. got their revenge for 95 in 2001 when they knocked out that 116-win Mariners team. That's true. Um, I, don't think anyone would, I don't think anyone would enjoy it. I, I can't. Everything about the Mariners, and who, who actually enjoys watching the Mariners lose? Is there any fan base that likes watching the Mariners lose? Um, no, watching them lose, no. I I like Seattle fans, and I like I like the story. I I don't like that Felix Hernandez is irrelevant for this now. He's just kind of falling off. So it's, he's kind it, of it does. That, it is a very mon- it is a very monkey paw type scenario that you know when we fi- we finally get a Mariners playoff team well after Felix matters. Yeah, I don't like um, that. Imagine, although imagine going to, to the start of the season, or like, imagine going back like five years ago and telling a Mariners fan, you will make the playoffs, but Felix and Robinson Cano won't matter at all. Like, they won't even be involved. That's how little they'll matter. Um, I guess you should probably use time travel in a better way than just kind of mildly surprising Mariners fans. But I don't know. I feel like that's uh, priority number one if we figure out time travel. But I don't. I don't it's, it's hard to hold any. I, I don't hold any enmity for the Mariners. I, you know, I, like you said, I, I like the story. You know, I hope they do make it. I hope they end that drought. You know, Mariners fans are nothing you can say to Mariners fans will make them sadder or madder than just their very existence as Mariners fans. They're they're they in the list of um, in the rankings of tortured fan bases. They're they're low key way up there. Um, mm-hmm. They hate themselves. <laughs> but yeah. I, I don't know. I don't think anyone would take any pleasure out of it. I do think it's going to be a good mad online moment for either Red Sox or Yankees fans when one of those teams wins 102 games and still has to like play a, a playoff play-in game. Yep. Um, and they'll probably and then have to face a 108 win Astros team in the first yeah, round. But there's there's also a strong possibility that uh, the Mariners finish with a better <sighs> record than uh, the Indians. That's seriously in play, and the Indians will get to avoid the All Star. Uh, the All Star game, I did it too. The, uh, wow, the wild card it's game, passing like a virus. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I mean the thing is, the takes when that happens, and I think I think yeah, it's it's a good point. Like we we are facing a reality in which both wild card teams will have a better record than the AL Central winner. Yep. and then you know the takes are going to start. So it's like okay, we need get rid of divisions and just go back to like you know top six teams or whatever. You know, regardless of where they're from. Um, which would be interesting, I guess. I don't know where I stand on that. I'd have to take some time to think about it. But those I don't takes think about it that come, much because there's will be no scorching. way Rob Manfred ever does that. Like, it's going to no, take and I think a long time the, for that to ever come to The uh, only way we get any kind of division or playoff realignment is if, uh, is if we get expansion, which it seems like we might, but yeah. I think that's still kind of a ways off in the distance. Do you want expansion? Because, I mean, I do miss the Expos. So if it brings back the Expos, sure. But then um, the Portland stuff's interesting. I think if they went Portland and Montreal, I don't like the idea of Vegas yet. I just think Vegas is doing too much too soon, and the Vegas Golden Knight story was awesome. But The problem, I don't, I don't necessarily think Vegas is, like, too much too soon. I think the problem with Vegas is it would make Coors Field look like the polo grounds. Like, <laughs> Vegas, Vegas' is offensive, or Vegas' is whole atmosphere thing, the offensive environment, I don't, I don't know if you, um, you follow all, you know, the, the, the Vegas 51, the, the Mets AAA affiliate, Mm-mm. the 51s, right? Yeah. 
who play in, in obviously play in Vegas in the PC, in the hitter friendly PCL, that park is a nightmare for pitchers. Um, it is an offensive haven, the likes of which the game hasn't seen since like the Coors Field heyday. Um, yeah, I, I don't. I'm not against. Real, I'm not against expansion. I mean, I think the problem with expansion, I think, is that you're going to get two teams that are going to be massively crap. Yep. For I mean, you're, I mean, it's going to be a, re- a repeat of the early days. Uh, I think more. It's going to skew more toward the Rays end of the spectrum than the Diamondbacks. Although I guess the, the Golden Knights have proven if you. I mean, I'm not a hockey guy. I have no idea how that happened. I don't know if that's like the Golden Knights front office is super savvy, or they just got really lucky, or some weird combination of the two. I'm not it against was it a though. I mean, of the it, two, basically, it was okay. Wow, um, sure. I don't. Wow, you. What what sport do you not like? Do discussion um, on here. I know you got the you got the NBA. You do the wrestling. You do the. I do. Get everything uh, going. NFL and uh, have taken a break because there's not much going on right now, and I'm not really diving into mini camp drama like Julio Jones hanging out with To too much. That's worrying the Falcons. Um, let's see. What do I not? I guess like why, why, would be? Hmm? why would that not? Why would that worry the Falcons? What do they care if he's hanging out with Terrell Owens? Well, it's because he's Terrell bad way. now. Yeah, uh, Terrell Owens just oh. ran a four four forty at forty four years old this week. I'm not worried about Julio Jones hanging out with a guy who just got elected to the Hall of Fame. But apparently he's been spending most of his offseason training with T.O. And it's like he's away from the team. And that's – well, it's basically like because we're in a 24-hour news cycle and people need things to talk about, it's Julio Jones is uh, being a me-first guy and uh, staying away from the team. And um, just it's very stupid. And um, That does sound very stupid. And it's all easily uh, understand. Like you can clear all this up by just pointing out that Julio Jones is out of uh, guaranteed money in his contract. So they're like, "Oh, they paid him twelve million, so he's still the sixth highest paid receiver." Blah blah. blah. And I'm like, "But he's also pushing thirty years old, and he uh, is out of guaranteed money. And if he go gets hurt, the Falcons uh, are going to have some options, and he could be really screwed from getting another big payday. This might be his last opportunity to get." some serious guaranteed money so he should hold out so it's all very stupid but um it's yeah. almost like guys shouldn't play football because it's bad for you and is bad labor wise well, it's like it's, the whole kyler murray it's like i love like, watching what kind so of <laughs> but um but anyway, yeah well, expansion yeah expansion's good expansion's fine yeah, well, you were about to say something about Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray, I think that's a really fascinating... Like, how does Billy Bean watch these games on Saturday? Does he just, like, constantly just put his hands over his face, like, whenever Kyler Murray scrambles around in the backfield? Because he is would, a dual-threat quarterback. That's, that's going to be, like, a terrifying thing for, for the for the Aces, is knowing that, like, you know, yeah, he's choosing baseball in the future, but first he has to get through, you know... It, it's like that cliche about the cop who's three days from retirement or whatever, or it's like... Mm-hmm. You just know he's gonna get shot. Like same same thing here with Kyler Murray. It's like you know the you know that especially because it's the A's and that franchise is cursed by by gods and men. That you know, ten minutes into Oklahoma season opener, he's gonna drop back and some defensive end's gonna go plowing straight into his knee, and that's the end of that. So, I mean, at least he's at least Kyler Murray is making the smart choice, which is go get that guaranteed baseball money and don't have to worry about uh, becoming a drooling vegetable at the age of 40, uh, who we can't remember anything. But yeah, that's got to be a little worrisome for the Oakland A's that, you know, this is, this is something they now have to live with is the knowledge every single Saturday, their prized draft prospect um, 
is going to be putting his body on the line for something that isn't them. I will say from Kyler Murray's perspective as a college kid who is the quarterback on a national title contender while also going number eight overall to the Oakland A's, things are really good for him. I bet you this guy is living his best life at Oklahoma. Being the quarterback while also knowing that you have millions of dollars waiting for you guaranteed, just I can't imagine a better sports like situation for a kid in college. Like That's the best of both worlds. Yeah, he doesn't have to worry. His future is set. Like, yeah, mostly set to a good but degree. He gets to have set. fun right this fall. He gets to play out his dream. He could, like, he could literally become a legend by like winning the national championship at Oklahoma this fall, and then just going to the A's, and he could be the A savior right after that. What a story! I'm rooting yeah. for it. It's a nice, it's a nice little, uh, it's a nice little future he set up for himself there. It's you know, be you could do a lot nice. worse. If the Oakland A's spent like a Silicon Valley team should be spending. That'd be nice. Well, the funny thing is with all the expansion talk, it's like we can't really expand the league until like the A's and Rays have way better situations than what they're in. I would agree. That That's kind of, and I know, I think that's part of, I think Manfred has said as much that it's like, there's no expansion until the A's stadium situation gets figured out and the Rays stadium situation gets figured out. So, well, before the Rays um, figure out their stadium stuff, they need to figure out how do you go back to their original uniforms scheme? That That's what I want first. <laughs> Yeah, that's the only that's the only good throwback is is those uniforms. I mean, honestly, with the Rays, actually, well, the Diamondbacks throwback is really good too. The purple was fantastic, the pinstripe purple, and that's what they won with. I I don't like when you think of the Diamondbacks, you think of Luis Gonzalez rounding the bases. Yeah, I think of the I think of the big awkward looking D and their weird pinstripes. Yeah, of course, you think of Miguel Batista and and you know early Orlando Hudson, like oh um, yes. Let's remember some MLB guys. Shout out to David Roth. Tony um, Tony Womack right there on it. Oh my god. Who was their closer? Kim? Scored. What was it? What was his name? It he was got, yeah, Byung Young Kim. Yeah, there you go. Um he got he put was up by the Yankees. Great. And then he and then he went to the Red Sox and did not so great, and then he flipped off the Fenway Park crowd and things just kind of fell apart from that point forward. But Young Young Kim that. was he awesome. Off the he had crowd? That, that is a bold move this great, off Boston. He had the <laughs> He had this great frisbee slider. It was a yeah. wonderful pitch. Uh, I was a big Byung Hyun Kim fan back in the day. Always, always thought he got an unfair shake from the Red Sox. Well, this is a great transition. This is why you should be leading the podcast because we're about to talk about another closer who just got traded. The Nationals they acquired Kelvin Herrera from the Kansas City Royals six weeks ahead of schedule. Um, what are your early thoughts on it? Um, it's interesting that I think to me, it's more interesting that the Royals made this move when they did than the nationals did. Um, cause it's what today is, as we're taping, this is June 20th. That trade was made two days ago, the 18th, I think it was. Mm-hmm. So we're still, a, we're still six weeks away from the trade deadline and moves do happen early. I remember the, the A's Jeff Samarja trade happened, I think at the beginning of July, uh, just for a recent example. But I think, you know, in a, in a market where, Certainly, like, you know, there aren't as many teams buying because, as you know, we noted earlier, there are not that many teams contending. But where every contending team could always use bullpen help, it's a little surprising the Royals made this move now instead of just kind of waiting it out. Especially because, you know, re- look, you know looking around and reading the opinions of, of uh, prospect folks way smarter than me, it doesn't really seem like they got a terrifically great haul for, for Herrera. I mean, I think, you know, you you look at the three players they got, and no one there really ranks as any kind of blue chip prospect. I don't know if you really get that because Herrera is 
one, a reliever, and two, a free agent at the end of the season. Um, and even though he's pitched well this year, I mean, I think the one thing teams probably looked at and worried about is, um, you know, the, the strikeout numbers are down. Like he had some arm issues last year though it didn't seem like terribly serious, but you know, they they were there. Um, you know, kind of what, not one necessarily, but like, you know, is, is he really an impact piece? But even if he's not, even, you know, he's, even if he doesn't end up being the best reliever trader, it's a little surprising that the Royals, Settled is probably too strong, but um, if it, you know, you you have to think, not have to think, but you you'd like to think that they could have done a little better. So Dayton Moore talked about this. Um, he talked about the deal. I think it was Ken Rosenthal um, spoke with him in the episode. yeah. I, I I did read that. Yes. So his quotes, I think, were illuminating in that I think, like you said, the prospects. Are, to the outside observer or anyone who keeps up with the farm system that much like the baseball America guys and everything else, like not exactly a, and it's not a group to get excited about, but if you listen to his quotes, it's like, okay, I see what, where his head was at with these guys, because if you read their attributes, it's just like a lot of them, they have no real upside hitting wise, but they all look like they could be good defenders and good pitchers when they get to, I think it's like one pitcher into, um, uh, it was a, a an outfielder, an outfielder, a third baseman. And the pitcher baseman, is a yeah. Dominican kid who's like 17. And like, I think, um, I think it was fan graphs. I think it was, um, the combo of Kylie McDaniel and Eric Long and Hagen to point out that like the Dominican pitcher is someone that like, they literally had to ask around several different people to get, even one scouting report on him because I don't think anyone even knew who he was before this trade happened. Um, he was just knew. someone plucked out of Dayton knew Dayton Dayton knows, but we've always yeah, said it's, Dayton it's Moore is ahead of the curve. You've always said you that. look at the guys. It's it's um, the two. I mean, the two guys who are going to matter more, like kind of the, the the position players, like Blake Perkins is the outfielder and Kelvin Gutierrez, Kelvin for yep. Kelvin, uh, who's the third baseman. But like I, you know, I think what what sticks. I mean, this is I'm gonna I'm gonna put out a, a theory coined by baseball perspectives is Kevin or Kevin. Don't listen. Craig Goldstein, not Kevin Goldstein, Craig Goldstein, um, who suggested that, you know, what we see in the return for Herrera. And I think what we saw too in the JD Martinez trade last year, especially is that teams don't necessarily, the return that they're kind of getting on these free agents seems to be optimized more toward, uh, control rather than quality, as in, you know, they're they're looking for, if you can for, put together a package of enough guys who are good enough, but who are, you know, obviously going to offer you years and years of team control, you take that instead of the one blue chip prospect. I think you saw too in the in the Garrett Cole trade over the winter the Pirates made in that, you know, Joe Musgrove, Colin Moran, and uh, I think Michael Feliz, and there might have been one other piece in that one, I think. None of those guys qualify as like, you know, blue chip top 100 anything um and moran maybe back in the day a couple of years ago but certainly his stock had fallen um but that was still the deal that pirates chose to make and i remember you know a lot of the talk on the pirate side was getting all those years of team control on four different players in exchange for a guy who was going to be gone in two years and who you know and the, and the pirates didn't feel like in those two years they were going to be competitive which you know you can argue all you want with that uh, particular calculus, and I think it's or at least a calculus of we're not going to be competitive, so we might as well not try, which I think is gross as hell. But you can definitely see that like teams are are not 
you don't see like the, the the kind of you don't see the kind of like Drew Pomerantz or Anderson Espinosa trade happening too often at this point. You know, the super prospect, not super, but the big prospect for the for the kind of uh, wanted player. You don't see the like. Um, I guess the last kind of real instance you saw that was you know uh, the Chris Sale trade where the Red Sox had to give up Beyond Mankata and Michael Sopak. Exactly. Yeah. But and what is what is the common factor there? Dave Dombrowski. Um, mm-hmm. but it seems like elsewhere when teams are selling, um, or when they're giving up these pieces, you know, it's, it's more about getting, it's more about, it's not a quantity. It's not a purely quantity over quality thing. The quantity and especially team control does, does matter and, and do matter going forward. And I think that's probably, and I, I it was, again, it was Craig who put this forward and I think it's a really smart kind of way of looking at it. I think that probably informs the Kelvin Herrera trade more than anything. Is it for the Royals? It's not even so much like, you know, it's not so much about even getting the blue chip prospect. It's about getting three guys, they all of whom you're going to have darts. under control for a long time. It's more darts. And if, if Dayton Moore really does believe that defensively, at least the two main pieces he got um, are underrated or at least are, are major league caliber in that regard, and you can, you know, kind of, I, I think the comp well, I made the comparison to Calvin. Lorenzo Cain and Alcides Escobar, where he said, like, when we brought them in and <clears> to our <throat> system, no one thought they would ever hit, and then they both turned out to be good hitters and crucial pieces. To well, Alcides, Alcides, the World Alcides Escobar still, Alcides Escobar still can't hit. Like that was that was a whoever I'm predicted that Dayton was Moore here. <laughs> so Dayton got to check his sources. I think I saw the one comp I saw getting thrown on Kelvin Gutierrez was. Um, Speaking of, remember some guys, Joe Randa, uh, smiling Joe oh, Randa of the late 90s, early 2000s Royals fame, who was a very mediocre hitter, but a really good defender at third base. And I think that's, look, if that's what the Royals want to go for, if that's their organizational philosophy, can't really say it's one with a whole ton of upside, but I understand it. And it at least makes this trade a little more understandable if you, if you think of it of that lens of they just want to get as many cost-controlled pieces as they can. Um, and that that's kind of going to be what you see with trades of free agents to be is that no, since, you know, no one is ever going to give up the blue chip prospect for a free agent to be, unless it's like a, I was going to say a Manny Machado type, but I don't know. It, it's interesting to think about Machado and whether or not the Orioles are actually going to be able to get uh, what they want from teams when it doesn't really feel like that's well, I think in the cards, right? What, don't they feel like the team that uh, will give up? Because they can't develop anybody. Michael Franco is struggling. Crawford just went on the DL, and he's been batting like what one ninety one this year. Like he was a first. Yeah, it's, like, it's they are struggling to develop. Well, they got they've 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 developed Nola pretty well, but yeah, I mean, I guess yeah. the rest of it's kind of a mixed bag. I mean, between Vinny Velasquez is kind of up and down. The rest, I mean, Nick Pavetta has good starts and he has bad starts. You know, it's and like you said, Franco and Crawford have been have struggled a bit. Um, Alfaro isn't hitting Nick Williams and Aaron Altair aren't really doing well in this kind of weird, uh, rotating reserve outfielder situation. They got, but, but, you know, but the Nola is certainly a hit. Reese Hoskins is a hit. Odubel Herrera is a hit. Like, you know, yep. they've, they've done pretty well. Um, but I think it's, and this is something that's like with the Orioles. It's like, it's just all the more, I think, and here's, here's my bold prediction take, whatever. I think the package you see that, the, if Machado does get traded, I think the package that comes back is going to be seen by a lot of people as disappointing. That they're going to see it as not nearly his value, because I think that's just kind of the world we live in now when it comes to when it comes to trades and when it comes to moving these players. That these guys just aren't returning, especially you know a free agent to be. It's just not going to return the same 
you know, teams are just way too hoarding of those, especially when, when it isn't a, when it is not necessarily a buyer's market, when you don't have, you know, you know, five, when you only have like two to five teams in the running, as opposed to five to 10. Um, and it certainly does look like there aren't that many teams that are actually going to be involved. I mean, you know, the, the contenders out there either don't need a third baseman, shortstop, whatever, or don't really have the pieces to make it work. You know, the, the Yankees aren't going to do that. Yeah. The Red Sox don't have the pieces. The, Ast- the Astros aren't going to do it. The Mariners don't have the pieces. The mm-hmm. the Indians, yeah, the Indians would be they interesting, but they already the pieces. Yeah, but they don't really need the left. They're. I, I think it, this might be the understatement of the year. The Indians don't need to work on the left side of their infield. I think they're good there. I think they're pretty set there. Um, like, I, think I think the Jose only Ramirez thing is maybe and Francisco maybe, Lindor are fine. I think they can live with that. Pretty. Right? I think that's a pretty good combo. I think the only thing is maybe yeah. you take Ramirez, move him to second base, and mm. bench or get rid of Jason Kipnis in some way. I think but, that's the. And you, I mean, it's kind of amazing the dichotomy between the left side and right side of the infield for the Indians, right? Like Kipnis and Alonso <laughs> versus uh, versus Jose Ramirez and Francisco Lindor. It's a little bit of an imbalance. But then, in the, then the team that Machado gets linked to over and over and over again in the Cubs. Again, like. Sure, maybe if if they make a deal involving Addison Russell, but like, what would the Cubs do that? Um, I don't know. I just don't get the sense. I mean, would you do it? I don't. It would depend on the rest of the package, I suppose. And the Cubs farm system is pretty weak right now. They've, you know, they've yeah. they they spent a lot of their prospect capital, um, obviously in 2016 and again last year. Mm-hmm. But I just it's just me. I just it's just kind of the general thing of looking around. It's kind of hard to find a contender who has who kind of is would be desperate enough to make that move. I think, I know we've talked about before that it seems like, you know, really the, the one team that could, that you could see kind of doing it is maybe the Braves, yep. but given the way that they've like, you know, I don't say they've stumbled, but they certainly come back to earth a little bit. And you maybe get the sense that in a month's time, if they're, you know, four or five games back in the NL East and kind of um, hanging out in the wildcard conversation that maybe Alex Anthopoulos is just going to stop and say, you know what? You know, we'll we'll save our bullets. We're really happy with how far this team has come, but like we're gonna, you know, and then just make the move in free agency because they have gobs of money to spend. Well, not even just that they have uh, Austin Riley gonna... sitting there in the pipeline. Like Austin, they have yeah. to see what they have there. So it's just Oregon for the for the for the umpteenth time on this podcast mentioned that you know they might just go and just get Mike Mustakas instead oh. because there isn't. <laughs> I know we have to do. We have, we to, have to talk about to Michael Stockton's Stockton future brave. brave every time on this podcast. That is correct. Thank you. Well, because that's the thing. Back. Because like if you if you see what like it's, it's kind of like a precursor or Herrera is kind of a precursor to that where it's like you're not going to have to give up a whole lot to get Mike Mustakas. You just pick yeah. in essence. Dayton Moore just showed his two or, <laughs> Yeah, just pick two or three mid level <laughs> prospects from somewhere in your system who have at least one identifiably good skill. Because the mm-hmm. Royals at this point they're not going to they know they're not going to get a blue chip anything for Mike Mustakas. Mike Mustakas isn't worth that. It's just going to be a matter of just give, us, <laughs> just give us something and he's all yours. Yeah. Cause, or at least I imagine that's going to be the case because it would be silly for the Royals to hold on to him anyway. Um, but I guess Can they give us Alex Gordon Charter, too? No, Alex Gordon is a... I don't think he's getting dealt. I, I cannot imagine there's a team out there that wants to take on Alex Gordon. He is a, a Royal until death. Um, what but I think that's the thing with Machado. Why, what, what's sad about Machado, I guess, is that you could argue, and I, I I will argue right now, that the Orioles should have made that trade in the winter. There's yep. no reason they should have come into the season with Manny Machado, and I think that's going to bear itself out when... I mean, obviously, you don't know what they could have gotten for him back then, but it's not hard to imagine they would have had 
more interest and especially been able to get more because the team would have had a full season of Machado instead of um, what's going to end up being two months. And again, because and look at the way the playoff picture is shaken out too, because of the fact that they have, you know, all those AL contenders don't really need to do anything crazy. You know, a lot of it is probably just going to be um, patching stuff around the edges and, and kind of, I mean, it depends. Like, you could certainly see maybe the the Yankees with Jordan Montgomery down. Maybe try to get an additional starter. I think the Red Sox would it would behoove them to get some middle infield depth. Um, if Pedroia is not going to come back healthy, as Eduardo Nunez simply is not the answer at second base. Um, the I don't. It's funny. I, I I don't see the flaws on the Astros. I honestly don't think they have any. The Astros. Um, did you? I tweeted this out last night. There is a good piece by Inosaris on uh, the Athletic about uh, Alex Bregman becoming a budding star, and I was like, finally, some good news for the Astros. Good for them. Another star on the horizon. Yeah, twenty-five year old Bregman it's turning nice. the corner. It's nice that things are finally breaking their way. You know, mm-hmm. I, I they, they, they haven't have. had any luck. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, that team, I, when Dallas Keuchel is, so... is your worst starter in 2018, things are pretty good, I think. Like they are that on pace to have like thing. the craziest uh, high K rate from their starters, their relievers, and then I think something. I think their hitters. They have like the what was it? It was on Beyond the Box Score, but it was just they are on pace to be the best um, team statistically of all time this year, and they might not even win like the most amount of games in the AL. It's just, it's absurd what's going on in Houston. It's crazy. And I wrote about this uh, yesterday uh, for SI about, you know, the Astros and how like, you know, uh, as I noted, they're on their win streak. And of course my article immediately snapped their win streak, but that, that this team is not only motive. Yes. Sorry. Okay. Astros fans. Um, and that that team was not only, this team is not only good, and not only the best team in the American League, even though they're, they're percentage points behind the Yankees and the Red Sox in the standings, they might actually be better than the team that won the World Series last year. It's just, it's you look at that, it's something I tweeted out last night too, as good as Yankees offense is, the Astros offense is still somehow better. Yeah, I think they're, it may be and they're, their team, WRC Plus, is like on track to be the highest. I know they have like they're they have an average run differential per game of two, and no Just, team is over two. No, yeah, no that's never happened in a long, long time. Um, same thing too with like you know you look at their rotation. They're, they've got a rotation ERA. Um, I don't know if it's, it's still exactly under three, but I can't imagine it's too much above it because uh, they're uh, they lost what two to one yesterday, so it wasn't like a yeah. It didn't do a lot of damage to their pitching their pitching stats. No. no team's put up a rotation ERA under three since 1988 Mets. You know, yeah. it, it it's crazy how good they are. And it's something that not only how good they are, but how good they're going to continue to be because what are they like? Every piece of that team that matters is there for the long haul. You know, yeah. we're, we're talking about, you know, when <laughs> we're talking about when like, when, when free agency comes, I mean, obviously uh, Keiko and Morton are going to be big decisions for them um, to figure out, but like that offense isn't changing for quite some time. It's going to get more expensive. Yeah. But that doesn't I mean, really Gattis matter. will be around much longer, but I mean, he's mashing this year. Um, even Max Stassi so, has a chance of being an all-star. It's insane. It's crazy what the Astros have built and how good they are and how good they're going to continue to be. And I think that's one thing if you're a Yankees or a Red Sox fan, 
just that combination of like, wow, my team is really good, and that frustration of, but somehow they're not as good as a team that's going to be as good, if not better, for as long a period of time. Yeah, it's the 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 American League is going to be a three team league for the foreseeable future. Just three super teams battling it out. Four, I guess, if you want to add the Indians, um, forever. Well, you know how I feel about the Indians. I think their days are numbered. But um, yeah, it's uh, get excited, American League fans. It's uh, it's get yeah get get times. excited, get excited, Twins and Blue Jays and Athletics fans. If there are any of you left. Um, you're never going to win again. <laughs> not great. Not great. That's um, not great. It's not great. No. Um, speaking of the Yankees, so they are now talking to the Blue Jays, and this kind of goes back to our um, discussion on Herrera and just what these guys, these pitchers especially, who are on the last year of their contract that are performing really well for teams that suck. And uh, J.A. Happ might be an all-star this year. He has been great for the Blue Jays. It makes all the sense in the world to move on from him. Do you think with Tanaka's injury and the Yankees' um, farm system that that's like the most ideal fit? But would the Blue Jays trade within the division and move him to New York? Would they? I don't. Do... I don't. Yeah, sure. I don't. I don't see why not. I mean, Hap's a free okay. agent at the end of the season, so I, I definitely. I mean, I don't. This isn't a Mets Yankee situation where the Mets are never going to trade a. a you know, like the, all that Degrom talk, which is pure nonsense. The Mets would never, never, never trade into the Yankees unless the Yankees lose their minds and offer the, the greatest prospect package ever. I don't see why the Blue Jays wouldn't do that. I mean, it would, if the Yankees are in the at the end of the day the the bidder with the highest offer, so be it. You know, and that's um, I, and I think it would, it would certainly make sense for the Yankees. I think to get that kind of de- more dependable starter and someone who they can kind of who exists as a, as a game four of a series option if Sonny Gray can't get consistent or if CeCe Sabathia gets hurt or if Tanaka comes back a little shaky. Um, I don't see why not. I mean, I think, I don't think the, I don't think the necessarily the desperation there. I think if there's one team that would probably want and or need half more, it would be the Mariners who desperately need a starter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, behind James Paxton and the surprisingly awesome Wade LeBlanc, but yeah. <laughs> which is just, it's just the, one of the funniest things to me is a career journeyman Wade LeBlanc is actually on his J.A. Happ shit. Cause I mean, this is what J.A. Happ was before he went to uh, Pittsburgh. Yeah. Just a weird kind of nondescript lefty. wasn't any good. And then Jay Happ went to Pittsburgh and got a, you know, got a, a trip through the race series rejuvenation machine, and now he is what he is now. So, well, but no, I, I could definitely Clayton see the Yankees becoming a uh, quality starter on the Braves in 2021. That's gonna be fun. He's already, he's already, he's already pitching well now for the Padres. It's really weird. But just imagine him on um, a different team. It, that's uh, no Clayton Richard is a is a is a lifetime Padre. Padre Richard. I always thought it was Richard, but I swear I heard is it. I don't know which. I don't. I don't know which one it is. I like Richard I more. It sounds more like culture. Yeah, it does. Based it sounds on like Richard, a, it sounds like a Gilmore girl. Um, but anyway, continue. But yeah, I, I think Hap would make a lot of sense for the Yankees, and if that's who it ends up being, I don't think the Blue Jays should hesitate to make that move. I mean, that's um, you know, there's there's no. I don't think Blue Jays fans are going to be infuriated if J.A. Hap goes to the Yankees. I, I don't yeah. really see them. They're they're already probably mad enough that this team is where it is. Um, it and that, you know, post, 
post all-star break baseball in, in Toronto or post deadline baseball in Toronto is going to be really kind of an unpleasant experience. Well, um, knowing that they call it Vlad jr. Because then it's going to be really fun because at least they get to see. Some, I think, I mean, they have some fun. I think he's up in up. September. I can, I can see him coming up in September. Um, once he's back shows that he's healthy and there's kind of zero pressure on him whatsoever to do anything. Um, Bo Bichette's but I mean, it's going to get uh, called up. Like they have some interesting pieces, but um, they do. It's just going to be weird for Blue Jays fans. It's like it's the it's the you know because Donaldson. I don't think there's any way Josh Donaldson comes back to that team. So in a sense, what's left of this season is just kind of a long, slow, and points rather painful goodbye to to that era of Blue Jays baseball with Donaldson and obviously Bautista's already gone. Um, and Tula Whiskey looks like he's never coming back. Although he was only a very brief portion of that of that run, but. I for um, one was shocked that Troy Tulitsky could not stand the field for the Blue Jays. I know, right? It's weird. It's it's almost like that's what has been his life forever. Which it is a, sucks because he which was is really a real awesome. shame. It sucks. Yep. Yeah, Tulitsky was it's great. It's very David Wrighty in where it's like this guy, like theoretical guy, if he's ever on the field, yeah, awesome. But um it's just how many years just can't stay on the there. same thing. Yeah. Um yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be an interesting posted. Like, have we already seen the last game of Josh Donaldson in a Blue Jays uniform? Can they even move him, or should uh, they like, hope to get him back? And uh, I'm not, at least I'm not sure what I'm not sure what exactly. If any, I mean, I don't necessarily know that they'd be able to get enough back for Donaldson to make moving him worth their time or make it worth you know more than what they'll get when they make him a qualifying offer mm-hmm. before he leaves. Because the truth of it is, like, he's still. I think he's be- on the verge of beginning a rehab assignment, but who knows how long that's going to take. So interested teams might only get a solid three weeks out of him before they kind of have to make a decision on it. And the, well, Donaldson, the Cardinals might seen... be in a situation where like they may not like, so the Cardinal season has not gone the way they wanted. Like, I don't know if you saw Marcelo Zuna, the way he cost them the game. <laughs> against the Phillies Yeah, that was not the, that was not the greatest defensive decision. But the Cardinals are that was a amazing. weird little crossroads. Yeah, where it's like they're good, but they're not as good as the Cubs and probably not the Brewers, and so they kind of have to figure out well, what are we going forward? And yep, what they are going forward should probably be without Mike Matheny. But I mean, that's mm-hmm. I guess that doesn't involve Josh Donaldson. But I don't, I have a hard time kind of seeing the Cardinals unless they're only like a game back in the Central and Donaldson is like looking healthy, making that big kind of splash. Um, certainly, I'm sure that's what the Blue Jays are rooting for, but. Yeah, yeah, it's it's that's gonna be it's at some point and probably gonna take a little bit, you know, because you gotta wait to see how things shake out. Kind of be kind of interesting to kind of list out all the teams that are kind of like the dead. The deadline isn't necessarily make or break, but it's just kind of or like a franchise turning point, you know, as as the deadline hits of like, you know, we either make this move, we either make a move or we don't. But you know, a lot hinges on whether or not we do it. Yeah. But the good news is for Yankees fans, um, even if they don't get J.A. Happ, Jonathan Lozaga, who was in uh, high A baseball to start the year, uh, looks like he's going to be pretty good. Um, and uh, he has some great course, stuff. Of course he's going to be pretty good. Of course he's going to be good. It's the Yankees. Every prospect they call up immediately hits his 99th percentile of, of yeah. production. It's insane. It's great. Like, he just came in like it was nothing. And they like, um, I forgot which player it was that was talking about his just like, the, just the way he was. I think it was Severino talking about just, yeah, this dude has it. 
And I mean, he has the look of like a really good Yankees pitcher and you're like, oh God, like Tanaka goes down they're like, oh no, what are we going to do without Tanaka for like six weeks? Oh, they're just going to call up this young kid. Another one who's just, he's fine. Like he's just, he's yeah, or, compared or, to or Yankees Domingo legends. Herm- yeah. It's, it's or Domingo Herman is just going to become untouchable. It, it, it's great. It's great for the way the Yankees just have a minor league system that just pumps out above average players. Like it's like the way the Cardinals just have whatever outfielder factory they do. Mm-hmm. Um, same basic thing but for everybody I mean when you consider that like the least of all the prospects they've graduated who are supposed to like the least good so far has probably been Greg Bird like most teams and would murder to have Greg Bird yeah. yeah and that's because of his health it's not even because of any production it's it's frustrating to see the Yankees do that it's you know because again there's a team that needs definitely needs those those breaks Labor Torres turning into um I'm trying to think of like a comp that actually works there, but I can't because he's. Just, I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go be mad online after this. Torres, <laughs> great. Yeah, even they they like their third base situation is fine. Like the Red Sox don't even have. Yeah, Miguel Andujar is a good yeah. player. Miguel yeah. is, a, is a very good player. And he'll be a good player for them for a long time. It's like all these guys, these teams that are like waiting out on the Yankees, Red Sox, and Astros. It's like the problem with all of that is that a these teams are going to spend and b. These teams are littered with great young players. Mookie Betts, Gleyber Torres, like Aaron Judge. It just, it never ends. Xander Bogarts. Like it, both teams are stacked with young guys that they're not going to let go anytime soon. Yeah, it's it, like I said, it, it's a bad time to be a fan of any non-Red Sox, Yankees, Astros, Indians team in the American League. What would you guess, it's, Jonathan? Is it Jonathan? How do you pronounce his last name? Is it Loziga? I think it's Loziga. Okay. Um, Losiaga, it's, it's... Oh, I like Losiaga. Let's, Let's go with that. Jonathan L. Jonathan L. Well, Johnny, his Wikipedia Johnny, Johnny Lasagna. Estrada. Johnny Lasagna. Uh, we're doing that, actually. That's the, that's the new name. Um, his. So what would you guess his middle name is? This well, is you just said Estrada, so I'm going to go with Estrada. No, that's his last name. That's his last so, name. What's his middle name? Jeez. I, I'm not even going to attempt to guess. I know. It does... Stanley. Stanley? Right? His middle name is Stanley? It is Stanley. It's very anodyne. It's, uh, wow. Stanley. What a a middle name. It's hard to be a good pitcher when your name's Stanley, or your middle name's Stanley. I feel like that's a... It's not a very very exciting name. Would he be good if his name was Stanley Loziaga? Probably not, right? No, he'd, he'd just be some disposable middle reliever. Exactly. There are, how many Stanley good Stanleys have there been in baseball game. history? I don't know. I remember super fan Stanley Yelnats, who loved uh, baseball and Sweet Feet, uh, Rick Fox, in the Disney classic Holes from 2000. Yeah, I was wondering where this, I was wondering where this was going. <laughs> That's the only Stanley that comes to mind. Um, Stanley Johnson is an NBA player. I feel like there are not that many Stanleys in professional sports. And as you said, no, like, I came up with all these different sports, I don't recall seeing a lot of Stanleys through the years. There's Stan Wawrinka, but that's Stanislaus because mm. he's Polish. But he's an honorary Stanley, I guess. Honorary Stanley. <laughs> um, um, the, we have one more other thing we're going to uh, jump on, but last thing I want to say on this uh, topic, which kind of brings everything full circle. Phillies' Mickey Moniak, remember, uh, first-round pick last year. 
Struggles continue at high A. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. Philly's in developing. This uh, post-Urban Amero world has not been kind to them. I do, so. I do remember reading after that draft that a lot of draft folks or a lot of prospect folks were kind of not sold on Moniac as an actual impact player and that he he kind of had the feel of a of a one one who was just gonna who was gonna go under slot. I don't remember what he actually ended up signing for, but that he wasn't going to be you know, that that the if that draft were to be done again, not not obviously not based on sort of like on a pure like talent or or projection basis, that the the one number one pick of that draft should have been either AJ Pock or Jason Groom. Now both of them blew out their arms, but um and that Moniac was just kind of like a not so much a compromise for the Phillies, but like a, it was it was what they wanted to do because it made the most sense for them financially. And so I guess in that sense, I'm not terribly surprised that Moniac isn't um, isn't like doing super hot because he never really had that kind of super prospect like glow about him when he was drafted. It is it would be a shame if the Phillies can't turn that number one pick into something. But I mean. It happens, I and mean, look at look at Mark Apple. So, yep, such such is life sometimes. But, um, your dog is yeah, also not a fan of Moniac. My dog yeah. is definitely not a fan of Mickey Moniac. <laughs> he's, he's more of a fan of the of the tennis ball that he wants mm. to keep chasing. And he is the sponsor of the Chase Emma's podcast. So, shout out to he, him. He uh, is check, yeah, honorary mascot. There you go. Um, last thing, and then we'll go. So Jeff Sullivan great baseball writer at fangraphs.com and host of the very good effectively wild <laughs> baseball podcast with ben Lindbergh every day that is a must listen if you are a baseball person and um so he did this 10 surprising hitters this year and he didn't like put really any analysis around it other than like the expected wrc plus for the rest of the year and what their wrc plus is right now and the list just caught my eye because i was going through it and i didn't realize that some of these guys that's how it got like kind of Bryce Harper just feels like he's still having a good season, but it's just like, that's how, you know, you're a superstar is like, even though you have like a 123 WRC plus, like it feels like a down year for you. That's how, you know, you're in a good place and people are starting to wonder what's going on. Um, Chris Davis, 23 WRC plus. He's like having the worst season imaginable. Chris and Davis there's legit, or at least was until he got benched, like was on pace to have, I think one of the literally the single worst season in major league history. And he's only got like nine more years left on his contract with the Baltimore Orioles. Yeah, I know it's I know it's out of I know it's no longer in vogue to say like you know uh, like that guy has a terrible or like this is like this contract is awful because it pays this guy too much money. But yo, that contract is straight awful. It is it is an absolute nightmare. And the worst thing about that for the Orioles is you knew at the moment it was signed. You knew yep. the moment they gave him that deal, you were like, this is not going to end well. There's nothing about Chris Davis's profile that suggests that this is a guy you want to give close to $200 million to. So it's it's a real bummer because, hey. I think he's mean, getting Bobby Bonilla, right? Where he's just going to get paid by the Orioles for like the next 30 years. If only because I have to imagine that like, you can't let this continue. I mean, I know he's been right. Like, I don't think you can. Foreseeable future, but it's like, if, I think it. And I think he sur- I think he survives this season. But I do think if he comes back and next year is the same thing, I think by like this by like May at some point he's probably finished. Like, I can't imagine a team can just let this go on. 
which is crazy because he's, he's going to get released with like a hundred million dollars left <laughs> on his contract. Yeah. Like, you know, Angelos, the shrewd businessman that he is, he is going to extend those payments over a long period of time. I don't think he's dying to just pay it all out at once to, uh, no, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of deferred money on that yeah. one. Yeah. Um, who on that list like stood out to you of like, Oh, I didn't realize this person was actually doing this well, or this person was not hitting that well. Like David, I mean, uh, Harper was the number one for me, but then Dexter Fowler was also up there where I, I didn't realize yeah, he was hitting as Dexter, as he is. Dexter Fowler's terrible season is just depressing. Like, cause he wasn't very good last year. And now he's got somehow gotten even damn worse. Um, it, it really is just a shame that that's like that, that contract too has just not worked out at all for the Cardinals. And I don't think anyone's necessarily terribly surprised about that because I mean, he was a free agent on the wrong side of 30. Like that is just what happens. But I think certainly like he's just not producing at all. Um, I think the name there's Eddie Rosario is surprised me how good a season he's having. Um, kind of got forgotten in that twins in that young twins group, you know, a little bit buried behind Miguel Sano and Byron Buxton and now Jose Barrios, but a good, good, solid young hitter. And definitely like of the, of that, trio of himself and Sano and Buxton looking the best right now. I mean, cause he is not injured or currently in single a. <laughs> so by That's default, nice. Eddie Rosario is the best young twins hitter. Um, but yeah, I think I, that's a name that kind of stood out to me. It's like, Oh, Hey, wow. Eddie, Eddie, Eddie Rosario is having a great season. Um, I think especially, you know, cause... that page every day, like whenever they need to, uh, they need, they need to pick me up because they've gone under the radar of like, this is the, I mean, I guess this is one of the good things about being in the Minnesota market is no one has really just killed them for underachieving this year, even though they um, traded for Jake Gorderizzi and like they were just waiting for this outfield to break out and um, Dozier. Yeah, they, they made like those they made those kind of minor go for it moves in Odorizzi and Lance Lynn and, and Logan Morris, but none of them have really worked out at all. I think Odorizzi is probably the best one. He's been pretty blah. And then everyone has taken a step back developmentally, except for Barrios and, and Rosario. So yeah, it's been a rough year out there. And, and certainly, like you said, like you know, they fly so under the radar that um, they fly so under the radar that it, I think it, it's kind of lucky for them that nobody's really paying attention to a team that like was in the playoffs last year and this year is pretty solidly below 500 and is. And they sent a I, guy I to single A. Not make the playoffs. Like that yeah, was insane. That... He just got to not even triple A. Just goodbye. Get, start over, man. Start this whole thing. Basically, over. although I think a lot of that was just like you know they they were saying that, you know they preferred um, kind of the facilities and the instruction you would get down there as opposed to just you know shipping him to triple A and just having him kind of just do what he was doing in the majors, but end up producing better because he's in triple A. Because I think there is like a feeling with them that it's like there needs to be kind of like a wholesale reapproach on on Sano's part as to you know kind of he's got to like like you said he's got to start over like this isn't just like a go down to triple a and get your swing back it's like no man like you, there's some fundamental changes that need to happen here um i want to believe yeah, that not a Molitor just went up to him he's like dude you are fucked you got to go back we're starting over. <laughs> this is like oh my god it's like god. when bark gets, it's like when bark gets sent back to kindergarten in the episode of sideshow bop <laughs> comes there it's 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 pretty much it's pretty much that same basic idea, but yeah, it has not been a fun season in the Twin Cities. It is a season. It is going to be a season to forget when it's all said and done. Hmm. It is. All right, man. Well, 
I think we covered everything. I think we, I think we've talked about literally every baseball thing. We even talked about a Stanley. We went back to previous Stanleys. We um, we t- you figured out that I apparently care about every professional sport in this world. Um, yeah, you've, you've even got the wrestling podcast. podcast. Yes, yes. Which, the by the way, I'll, I'll the tell you now. I think the story I was working on um, that I told you about earlier that 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 is a wrestling story. Oh, so I have wow. I have made my I have made my entrance in the world of the WWE. Are you watching it, or is it just a um, something that interested you? No, it's it's, it's WWE related. It is not okay. a. It's okay. not about. It's not about the. It's not about world wrestling entertainment. It's about a guy who's now in WWE, who is a bit surprising. And I'll, I'll just. I'll leave it at that because the story's That's not a good out tease. yet. Yeah. All right. But we'll check that obviously, out. Obviously, SA.com. That is on the way. Um, it is. Yeah. All right, well, we can read you, obviously, at si.com slash MLB, where John is one of the best baseball writers in the biz, hashtag biz. And, uh, John, let's talk again soon. Yeah, we'll, we'll do it. I'll be, I'll be around thinking of, of sports families. I'll be, re- I'll be ready for next time. There you go. All right, John. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.